Choose life. Choose a sport. Choose a drop zone. Choose a start time. Choose a fucking big jump plane. Choose turbine engines, speed, unlimited altitude, and endless horizons. Choose height, no low turns, and travel insurance. Choose jump tickets. Choose tiny action cameras. Choose your mates. Choose a rig and matching helmet. Choose swoop shorts and a range of fucking fabrics. Choose 120 vertical speed and wondering who the fuck you are on a Sunday morning. Choose sitting on that couch, watching debriefs, spirit-saving slow-mos, smashing beers after last load. Choose standing on the podium at the end of it all. Choose a win you'll love every time. And the reasons? There are no reasons. Who needs reasons when you fly NZ Aerosports? Of course, I absolutely love the NZ Aerosports business model. I mean, come on. One glance at an Icarus fuck yeah sticker and you know it lines up perfectly with the fucking pilot mentality. But outside their wonderful use of colorful language and a great company vibe... There's a long list of reasons to say NZ Aerosports, fuck yeah. NZ Aerosports blows me away right out of the gate as a canopy manufacturer with a bold offer. They give you 10 jumps on your brand new nylon to decide if you want to keep it, swap it out, or even return it for a refund. I mean, seriously, how incredible is that? That's like getting halfway through a prom and deciding you prefer the slightly racier date that goes down faster. Seriously, they do that. If you're not madly in love with your new canopy after 10 jumps, they'll let you swap it out for another size or model or even get your money back. And the range of canopies they've got? Man, they've got a style canopy to fit every jumper and every situation with models you know and trust. Like the Sapphire 3, the perfect choice for the beginner or intermediate canopy pilot. The Crossfire 3, when you're ready to kick it up that elliptical notch. The JFX 2, if you're looking to up your new swoop game. The Leia as the workhorse and dirt water dirt beast, or the Petra. The Petra cranks out crazy power and is nothing short of a record breaker. But hey, it's not always about speed either. Take the Kraken. Built as a low pack volume canopy, specifically with wingsuiting in mind, she gives you all the performance you're looking for with the reliability you need that'll have you itching for that next formation, rodeo, or puffy cloud. So, the equipment is top of the line kick-ass stuff as you already know, but how about the team? Well, the customer service gang is there to sort you out whenever you need them. Maddie and Beto are always there to help with Jen holding the reins. They're available for you at sales at nzaerosports.com and they've got a kick-ass live chat tool on the website if you're wanting to hit someone up right away. These are the crew you're going to want to talk to to get those custom orders in. With the stock nylon, once you know what you want, they'll have that shit on a FedEx truck as soon as the credit card machine says approved and get you in the air in no time. For your custom orders, you'll be able to get a time frame for building and shipping when you design it, so get to it. And demos. They've got demos in the U.S. available from their partner Rock Sky Market. The whole U.S. demo fleet is there with Sapphire 3, Crossfire 3, Kraken, JFX2, and Leia canopies in a range of sizes. They also offer student and tandem demos in the U.S. Bottom line, every step of the way, NZ Aerosports is there to get you what you need, and I personally couldn't be happier to be teamed up with them here on Lunatic Fringe. Hell, they've even got a special offer for all you Lunatic listeners out there. Just head to pages.nzaerosports.com forward slash into the void. That's pages.nzaerosports.com forward slash into the void and follow the instructions to register a website account with them. You'll score a discount voucher with 20 bucks towards any purchase over $200. I mean, come on. You know you're going to shop with NZ Aerosports, so grab a little extra cash towards that buy and enjoy. The offer is good until the 31st of December, and the voucher is good for three months, so go register now. And now, time to get started with Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, brought to you proudly by NZ Aerosports. Fuck yeah. 
coming straight from the cockpit. It's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go. All right, back in the camp for man. These are getting so fucking stale. I introduce it the same way. It's yeah, kind of like yeah. it's kind of like Groundhog Day when they're talking on the radio and he wakes up every morning and nothing's changed. But there, this oh, is I a think. change. Although this is a repeat guest, so tell me who the fuck are you? What do you do? So I am Chris Stewart. Uh, I am test jumper for NZ Aerosports. Um, also, I guess professional swooper. Being a professional swooper, we don't get paid, so not really professional, but hey. Well, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I think that the word professional uh, um, is um, either overused or underrated in the sport of skydiving because <laughs> you're right. I mean, you're not getting paid to be a swooper, but you're definitely a pro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I can uh, – And so I guess like technically you look at it uh, over your career. You can look at if you've won prize money or things like that. So, I mean, swooping – Fair enough. For how many years? Yeah, swooping for like maybe eight years, nine years now competitively. And uh, of those nine years, I've made, over those nine years, maybe made about six or seven grand. So it's not a great <laughs> uh, salary if you work it out. Fair enough. But hey, eight or nine years, first off, that's some longevity in that sport. Because, I mean, come on. It's not exactly the safest sport <laughs> on the planet. No. No, so no, for sure. you've managed to last for a pretty long time in a say in a you know pretty risky sport. You're still walking, I assume, in a straight line, so that's good. Yeah, not through lack of trying. I think, um, <laughs> yeah. So last time, like I kind of brushed over starting and how I started out in New Zealand and went to Byron Bay and uh, had some cool stories there. But then um, went to went to Norway and then I I did talk about this a little bit, but uh, broke broke my back as well there. And then uh, I can't remember if I talked about it one year, my first year there, 2010. Scott Voss is, by the way, like one of my favorite drop zones. And it was where I thought I was going to live. You know, when you're just in a country and you're like, this is it, man. This is this is it for me. I'm not going nowhere else. Yep. And then, uh, and then you know, I came back home and I was like, uh, no, New Zealand's pretty good. <laughs> um, so I went there in 2010. And uh, I mean, the year before I just witnessed – mountain flying and I was like man that's me I'm I'm gonna do that and I mean I was like 21 22 I go over there obviously man like in your early 20s nothing can kill you <laughs> except like a, except a mountain apparently so <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so so I uh yeah I was on 2010 I was when I started going to Scott Voss. And, um, yeah, landed in the mountain at the end of the season. And luckily, all I did was like a really minor fracture in my wrist. Mm. But it was enough to stop me jumping for the rest of the season, which was only two weeks at the time. And then, <laughs> obviously, um, learning my lesson really well, I came back the next year and landed on the other side of the valley uh, on another mountain. And um, I broke my back that year. So I managed to learn my lesson from that one. I mean, so – with an injury like breaking your back, uh, and I usually gloss over it a bit, but how hard is that? That's, I mean, we're not talking a minor injury. That's the, the just saying broken back is just a terrifying phrase. So how hard is that to come back from mentally to get back into the same thing that put you there in the first place? I mean. Yeah. I, th I think I was like, when I say broken back, I always feel like I'm overstating it because and I don't, I don't feel, I was super lucky. I was back jumping in two and a half months. Wow. So, 
Yeah, so what I did was, um, and I need to put these photos on my phone because I always talk about it, but I, I had like a compression burst, I think it was called, on my uh, L2. Okay. So basically just, um, yeah, impacted sort of on my ass and uh, compressed my spine and it was my L2 that gave way. So it's kind of like uh, the, on the inside of it, like a nu- the top knuckle yep. kind of chipped off. <laughs> I was talking to um, to my partner about this the other day and she was like, did you get surgery? And I was like, no, I just, you know, the Norwegians don't like to do surgery. So they were like, I was in the hospital and they were like, do you want, you know, you're going to either have a body cast or, or um, you know, or not. No, oh, sorry. They said you're going to have a body cast or surgery is what it was the first night. And I was like, fuck, I hope it's a body cast. You know, like that's, I'm in Norway. I'm a skydiver. So I had no travel insurance. Oof. And um, yeah, man like just killing it too many of us do that like get travel insurance by the way yeah <laughs> well because i mean you just you hit on a really interesting point right what a fucked up place to have to make a decision uh, you know a body cast sounds a little old world to me you know i mean especially now every time you hear of a buddy breaking a bone in skydiving it's when's their surgery because yeah they're gonna get stapled back together and, and screwed back together in some way so to be forced to make a decision do you want a body cast or surgery in which case you're gonna go fucking broke or have to borrow money from everybody what a horrible yeah. position to be in i mean yeah oh so yeah get and- travel insurance yeah, man, for sure. And and as a skydiver, obviously, man, we're always thinking about the cheapest option, you know. Like, yeah. hopefully, hopefully that mentality is changing. But this is, man, this is uh, eleven years ago now. Yeah, and for obviously, sure. my mentality was save that money, man. <laughs> save that money. You got to buy more skydiving gear. Save that money. Yeah, yeah, for so sure. So I, I was very fortunate though. Um, so they they wanted the specialist to have a look at all my X rays and my MRI and all that, my scans. And uh, the next day, the doctor came in and he was like, oh, so we've spoken to the specialist and it just went and the specialist decided it didn't need surgery. So it was either the body cast or no body cast. And I just said to the doctor, I just looked at him, obviously thinking about those dollars. And I was like, hey, man, so if we if we go with no body cast, when can I get out of here? And then he was like, this afternoon. And I was like, "Okay, I like this option. One less night in hospital. It sounds cheaper. Like we're going. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for the bargain bin, and I think we've found it. And uh, and man, so so. But I, I wasn't a complete idiot because I was like, like I said to the doctor, like, watch in your honest opinion, is it worth getting the body cast? And he gave me the pros and cons, and I was just like, cool. Let's get that uh, physio in here. Let's. And I was walking around on it like a big size Zimmer frame, right? Uh, like a big yeah adult Zimmer frame or whatever, and. Uh, yeah, I walked around the room, and then the the pressure was pretty horrible. Mm. But obviously, when they ask you how does it feel, you're just like, "Ah, oh, it's fine, man. This is all good." <laughs> and then, um, yeah, just an absolute idiot. And then they gave me crutches, and I hobbled out of um, hobbled out of hospital the afternoon. So, like, I think I was in hospital for uh, maybe twenty four hours, not even twenty four hours. Jesus Christ! Now, let me ask yeah. you though, which which upset you more, the broken back or the tooth that you left up on the mountain? What well, so the so the tooth uh, <laughs> was actually was in my pocket, which I think I said on the last one as well. So basically, I felt it wiggle, like when I woke up on the side of the mountain, I was like, right, my back's fucked, and I was like, fuck, my tooth hurts. So I gave that a wiggle. Although I think I'm pretty sure I said this last time too. But the funniest thing was when I woke up, I, I had like um, goggles on, right? But the lenses had the lenses had blown off, so I just was wearing like the frames. <laughs> so I woke up. 
So like, because I knocked myself out, I woke up and I went from like, the last thing I remember was like tinted visor or tinted glasses. I woke up and I'm like, fuck, it's so bright. What's going on? Like I was freaking out. And then I went to like take my goggles off. And I remember being real disappointed on the mountain because they were the goggles I'd had since I started skydiving. (laughs) And that was like, you know, I was going to retire them and keep them somewhere. Like those are the, those are the first goggles, you know, that I paid for. Right. uh, After after the clear goggles, obviously. Uh, But also, yeah, my tooth was snapped. So I felt it wiggling while I was on the side of the mountain. So I just took, like, pulled it off and put it in my pocket, you know, like, as you do. Yeah, anyway, I'm in, I'm in hospital, like, later, and, and, the, and the doctor's just like, oh, you've lost your tooth. And I'm just hopped up on drugs. And I remember looking up at him and just going, no, it's, it's, it's in my shorts. It's in my shorts. And he goes over to my shorts, my swoop shorts, goes into my pocket, he finds him a tooth, and I just—I'll never forget that. He just like leans, like you know, when someone stands over top of you if you're lying on the ground or yep. something like that, or you know. And I'm lying there, and he's just like leaning over the top of me, and he just looks at me, and goes, "Yeah, that's not going back in." <laughs> and I was just like—I just remember being so devastated that I'd lost my tooth. So, but funnily enough, the the losing of the tooth ended up costing more oh. because you know, like no, no amount of insurance is going to cover your cover your teeth. All right. Uh, and then, and then now though, as I'm getting older, I definitely have to be aware of looking after my back more sure. uh, and strengthening it because it is weaker, you know. Now, so I, ha- I do have issues every now and then with it. I was going to ask, did they give you any long-term prognosis? I mean, are you looking at surgery down the road to stabilize? Is I mean, because as skydivers, I hate to say it, but we're we're not always the sharpest bunch when it comes to um, taking care of ourselves because we're willing to jump injured specifically because if we don't jump injured we won't fucking jump you know i mean i don't think there's a yeah. professional scout ever out there that doesn't have some ache or pain that's brought on by jumping so i can't imagine that this isn't going to be something you're going to need to address later in life yeah it's something that i think i need to address now to mm. be honest because i'm just starting i have to i'm noticing i have to be more i have to be a lot more aware of staying in shape you know and it's sure. just like Sure. It's not something that I ever had to worry about, but now it's, uh, yeah. So it's definitely something um, for sure. Like it's going to be, it's only going to get worse. Yep. If it's causing small issues now. So it's better to sort it out. Yeah. I mean, like I broke my wrist at, at the, I remember breaking my wrist at school, falling off the jungle gym and like on a really cold morning, that a lake. And it's just like, and that was from when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, I've got a, a lot of old injuries that uh, um, they don't seem old because they still feel like it happened yesterday, but they're a long time ago now, and they're coming to back to haunt me. You know, I've got a couple of screws in my wrist that should be removed because it's been causing me issues, and and now I've discovered recently, especially with jumpers that are my age or at least been in the game for a while, how many old camera flyers have issues sleeping and arms falling asleep and neck really bad. And I've now discovered I have multiple friends with like RoboCop necks because they've had to have disc replacements and stuff. And man, we picked a tough fucking sport. Oh man. And it, and it's, and I guess as well, like going on into like, because I did the camera flying as well. I was fortunate enough when I worked at Byron Bay to have like the PC 105E and the, yep. like the Canon on their head. And yep. I was just like, you know, that's just, that was just like, ah, oh, it's not too heavy at all. <laughs> and you compare that setup. So you do, you do a few thousand of those jumps and it's just like, man, that adds up. Even if you're not feeling it at the time, oh, yeah. like you're going to notice it for sure. So, and then to go from that now to like test jumping where, <laughs> you know, like we do our best to, as, as we can to mitigate the, the hard openings 
by always like going subterminal and stuff sure. like that, or super subterminal where you just give the person in the door your pilot shoot and go watch this. Sure, but I don't I don't actually do that by the way. <laughs> but um, but like it's just these th- like I'm I'm sort of left myself in a position where I'm I'm still sort of. Uh, you know, prone or, or open to those to those possibilities. Sure. Well, I continuing look, to have more more neck problems. Oh yeah. I mean, I look back and and I remember seeing videos. I believe it was Norman Kent used to wear a neck brace, and at uh, um, at Skydive uh, um, Vegas, Las Vegas, where I started shooting video for a living, uh, the owner actually made all the camera flyers sign a waiver if we re- if we didn't want to wear neck braces. And I'm twenty something and unbreakable, so of course, fuck your neck brace. I'm not going to wear that, and I can count at least three cases of pretty decent fucking whiplash back then with massive cameras and and a heavy helmet jumping a, a huge parachute that just was a train wreck on every opening and fuck me i wish i'd have worn that neck brace <laughs> oh man yeah i can only imagine i remember yeah i remember um i, I was filming a buddy's tandem in, in byron bay and i i was jumping i used to own like although i worked for aerosports my first few canopies were actually pd canopies just, okay just like that's what my instructor, you know, he sourced our secondhand gear and right. stuff like that. And I was on a, um, a Stiletto 135. And I'll never forget just opening and it just was instant canopy. <sighs> and I had like, I, I felt like I heard my neck crack. So I just, I remember just hanging. And there's like some people out there who will know this feeling where you just, you just hang <laughs> and you just kind of. Uh, and you just like exhale for a bit and then you do like a body check and you're like oh, i can still move my limbs cool yeah got on the ground and just i remember just sitting there for like five minutes just like my mate's like you're right i was like just just give me a minute yep. just give me a minute yeah. and i just yeah and, I, and then it's just like i think i i stood down for one load and then i was like cool let's go again oh jesus man i had a similar one yeah. on a um a tired stiletto 120 and i let the packing mat pack it and the only the only thing i can think of that made this thing open the way it did and with the damage that it ended up with was line dump uh, it must have been old rubber bands they were in a rush didn't replace it this thing opened up so fucking hard, and, and this will date me a little bit. This was still on tape. Uh, the tape actually skipped back. It hit so hard. Um, yeah. Uh, so when you see this opening, all you see is a flash of my fucking feet and my buddy's face from what I was taping over flash on real quick, almost like he was laughing at me when this thing cracks open. <laughs> I'm doing the hanging under the canopy, just like you were describing, just moaning and you know assessing all right how fucking bad is this i've got like eight line twists so now i've got to try and sort this out so i look up i get the line twists out but i can barely lean my head all the way back when i finally get the line twists out i notice that from nose to tail top skin and bottom skin there's a six foot fucking hole three cells over from the center and of course cut it away and thankfully had a wonderfully soft reserve opening and then when i'd landed filmed the tandem that landed and then fell the fuck over (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, man it's it's insane yeah yeah like the split canopy whenever whenever we're at work and someone sends some like something in they're like we had a hard opening and there's just like a part of especially if it's something new and the canopy's just exploded it's like Damn. Well, and that's Damn. the reason I figured it had to have been something like line dump is because it wasn't at the attachment point for the pilot shoot. It was off to the side, which tells me it was a super uneven opening and kabam. 
Fuck yeah. me, man. It was, yeah. I, yeah. To this day, I track that jump to the multiple bulging discs that I have in my neck. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Fuck Yeah, hell. no, I wouldn't be surprised. No, no, not at all. And then there's, and then we have, um, I guess, just going back to Voss, how I, that's where I did my injuries. Yeah. The, um, the non-professional self-inflicted injuries. Like Voss was, uh, it's, isn't it funny though? I think about places like Voss and Byron Bay, like when I was there. And and now I see my friends there, and it's just changed so much. And it's like, ah, oh, and you would have this much more than me being in the sport longer. Just like, ah, oh, you guys don't know. I was there in the glory days, right? Like back in my day, right? Like, uh, like Scott and Voss now. Like from when I started there to what it looks like now is it's a it's polar opposite. The beautiful thing about um, Norway is they're not for profits; they're clubs. Mm. So all of the money they make on tannins and AFF and anything they do just go straight back into the club. So oh, that's it's constantly awesome. being improved. You know, like the staff get paid and then we improve, we improve, we improve, which was, you see some amazing changes. Mm. But when I was there, uh, when I first started, the, the guy who was in charge of the, the club was a guy called Evan Rockner and he was a, a legend. If you've ever heard of an in-hop, um, then he was, that was coined kind of in Scott Voss. Okay. Like an in-hop is called, like it's an in-jump. Right. So you do basically like, uh, you know, an off-drop zone, like plan jump where you land maybe next to a river or in a random paddock or a farm or whatever, and you have a party there. Or, and we used to, yeah, man, we used to go loose. But I remember Scott O'Voss when we were there. I don't know why it was, but we just had an abundance of couches. <laughs> and every every Saturday night, we would just be like, fucking burn this mother down. <laughs> and uh, me and a, and a really good friend of mine who – whose name, you know, I'll say his name, he wouldn't mind, Steve Newman. They Everyone knew that we were the ones burning the couch because there was like video and photos of us walking out of the club room like, it's Saturday night, let's, let's fucking do this. <laughs> and we were just, and for the first season I was there, we would just burn. We would burn like a couch just about every weekend. And by the end of that season, I remember looking at Steve and just being like, where the fuck are all these couches coming from? Because we just keep going. And I swear we burnt like a good 10 couches. And, you know, I, I would love to say they were fucked and there was something wrong with them, but we were just wasted and we were like, let's get this fucking Saturday night started. Like, nothing says let's start this party, like, burning a fucking couch. Yeah, 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 no shit. Well, and it's funny, though, that uh, at least half of the substantial injuries my friends have had had nothing to do with jumping, but everything to do with the drop zone. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, they, they just, oh, when you find that ambulance or whatever, and it's just like on a on a party night and they're like, well, yeah, we need an ambulance here. Yep. It's like, oh, some dickhead's done this, someone's done that. I remember when we were at Vosso, the, the fire pit was like infamous. Mm. And my first few seasons there, it, it's like, so what it is now is they've built it up. So it's like a ring of rocks or they're like cemented rocks so you contain the fire. Right. Back in the glory days, as you'd say, <laughs> where there was no ring of rocks. There was no cemented pit that we needed to keep. It was just like you're just keeping in that area of dead grass. Right. And that area of dead grass just got more and more burnt. <laughs> and I remember there was there was a big tree next to like pretty close to the where the fire was. And basically that poor tree, it would it would recover from the end of the season to the start of the season. And as soon as we started, one half of that tree was just crispy, <laughs> and the other and the other side was just like green and and lush. I remember one time we, uh, man, we had to, we used to just get this fire like cranking, and we started like getting wood and like building towers and stuff. And uh, one time we we actually we had because we had two landing areas, we had the main landing area and a student landing area, like most most places. Mm. But the student landing area was like a different paddock uh, paddock at the on like behind a row of trees so mm. basically 
what we did was we made everyone land there and the club rented out the landing area for caravans, for caravan space because uh, we would make a bit of money off it for the club and it was when there was like big events on uh, in the town of Voss mm. and it was just, you know, sure. rent that space out. So we stacked up this fire one time and we're like, man, we're fucking, we're going for it. And these people in these caravans are like, they're, they're like 15 meters from like the fence and then there's a caravan. <laughs> and we're just like, we're fucking doing it. And they were like, you can't start that fire. And I was just like, I don't understand Norwegian. We're starting this fire. <laughs> and they all speak perfect English. So we're all just being a bunch of dickheads. And uh, anyway, so we we crank this fire up and it gets going. And, and it man, there's like sparks and, and everything just going everywhere. And it's just, it's beautiful. You know, from our side, it's beautiful. <laughs> and now from the, the caravan owner's side, so they're like, you're going to melt our houses down. And... Um, so we were just like, it's all good, it's all good, don't worry about it. And then some sparks went over, but to this day, I don't believe anything happened to anyone's caravan. But there was one guy who said part of his caravan was melting, but he wasn't even close. He wasn't even the closest. So we were like, you're talking shit. Well, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, caravans have fucking wheels. Yeah. <laughs> if your caravan's yeah. too close That's to the fire, true. move it. Yeah, they were they were like packed up, man. It was like shanty town. Oh, with fair all enough. The, like we rented it from end to end, so like these people couldn't move. So. Fair enough. Yeah, you know, they made a bit of point. They made a bit of point, but <laughs> made for a good story now. Yeah, anyway, but I mean, so the, I hate to say it, if you pack up next to a drop zone, you kind of get what you get. Oh man, these people like oh, it's like someone who lives next to an airfield and is just like it's too noisy. It's like it's a fucking airfield, man. Yeah, we were here like, first. No shit, there's planes. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that. Um, so the fire's going off. Next thing we know, the fire department shows up and the truck pulls around, manages to get next to it. And and by this stage, the fire had like subsided a little bit. It wasn't too intense. And the, and the fire truck, the firefighter just unloads on it and they put it out and it's out. And then they just keep pouring it. And then they start flooding our like, little area, our boarding area, right near where the fire is. And we're like, what are you doing? And they're like, well, to keep them happy, we're going to empty the entire truck here. So whatever that is, is like how many, ever many thousands of liters, they poured an entire fire truck onto this fire. Anyway, so by this stage, the, 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 like the journal, journalists and the media had shown up, like a couple of people from the local paper. And it's like, it's dark. It's nighttime, you know? Right. And we're all just standing. We're, so we're standing next to the fire having beers still like, or now standing next to our new little lake. <laughs> and um, anyway, so... We kick on, we, we party without a fire, we still have a good night. We wake up the next morning and there's this article in the newspaper and on the front cover is a picture of the firefighters putting out this fire and then there's three people <laughs> standing there, two of them are staff and like we're just smashing beers watching it and like laughing and stuff and so you can see in the, part, in the photo that we're clearly a part of this fire. Right. Or what was the fire? Anyway, they did a. They took a statement from the club, and it basically the statement read something along the lines of, "Yeah, we do not condone this. Condone this at the club. It was, um, it was the fire was set up and started by some of our club members, not by our staff. Our staff tried to deter it, and that there's that that like that uh, quote, that statement from the club, and there's like of the people you can see in the photo, like sixty percent of them." Our staff just smashing beers like going. <laughs> it's, it's always going to oh. be the staff, man. Oh man, and it's just it's just so fun. we were so proud of it. We got told off by like uh, the chief instructor and stuff, but even he had a little giggle about it as well. 
Well, and that was uh, Voss. No, no, go ahead. Ed. Oh, just we, we we had some wild stories. There's there's another one that um, basically we had the same thing. We had a we had a caravan, an old caravan in the landing area, and our and our boss was like, "You guys need to move that caravan, and or get rid of it." And so we just heard get rid of it so we were like well what gets rid of shit like fire gets rid of shit (laughs) so it was real cool actually it was at um it was at the start of an extreme sport vicar which is i'm not sure if you've heard of extreme week in norway oh yeah oh yeah so like yeah so uh so basically it was like we do an opening party for that at the skydive center and just anyone's allowed to come so we have this thing and we, we had this old caravan it was basically like Oh, that's what it was. The fire department, because they knew the event was coming up, came and checked out like our car park and made sure everything was up to code. Right. Anyway, they saw this old caravan and they're like, that needs to go. So then our boss is like, get rid of it. So on the party night, we tow it out to the back of the landing area, (laughs) like right on the edge of the landing area, where there's like, it's already dead grass and stuff anyway. And we tip it over and then... We had this uh, a couple of graffiti artists like just hanging around, and they were they were there doing some work for the week. So they they were like, "Yeah, man, we'll get it going." So they started spraying on it, mm. and we were like, "Should we start the fire now?" And these guys were like pretty loose. They're like, "Yeah, get it going, get it going," <laughs> and um, and so we're like, "Sweet, all good." So we start this. We're actually before that's right. So we tried starting it, and I was like, obviously, I was like the lead idiot. I seem to be the lead idiot a lot of the time. <laughs> and I'm like, I go to I go to the caravan, and I'm like, cool, give me some petrol. We put the petrol in, and we douse it, and then we walk off, like, we douse it, and I'm like, cool, I need, a, I need a, like a lighter now before it fumes out. And so we didn't, no one had a flame. So I was like, right, I'll sort this. So I ran over to the fire. I grabbed, like, this big fucking flaming log, <laughs> and I was like, I've got it. And then I start running to the to the uh back to the caravan i can't see the fence like it's a little like farm looking kind of fence i trip over the fence throw the the log forward and then i'm like like flat on my face this log luckily didn't hit anyone or me and then people were just like you're right and i just stood up like it didn't happen i was like yeah i've got this let's do it like run off like a drunken idiot anyway so i chucked this log in the window of the caravan and i'm like cool we're good so i throw this in and it's just not starting and then I'm like, what the fuck? So I stupidly like look kind of not. I don't put my head all the way in. I just put it like out the side. But by that stage, those fumes have been cooking. <laughs> and it just was this big fireball. And I just remember just going, and basically like I didn't get knocked over, but this big fireball just in my face. So I turn around and I'm like, ugh, ugh. and then I'm like, oh, I'm all good. And then I wipe my nose and I feel like a bit of skin come off my nose because I've just like had a fireball in the face. I've just had like my eyebrows plucked by the look of it because they're all singed, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, so we fire and I just I party on whatever, and we had this caravan going off, and then next thing we know, there's people on the other side of the airfield seeing this, and they're like, "There's people in it," so the ambulance gets called, <laughs> the fire service gets called, but they turn up there too late, so they just let it keep burning, and. Um, the emergency helicopter was on its way. Like oh, they, Jesus. they basically were about to fire up the emergency helicopter. Luckily, that didn't take off. Fuck. Anyway, so I go to sleep. I go I, like we party another amazing party at like at, at Scott at Voss. I go to bed, and because I've, I've fallen asleep on my face, and because I've melted my nose off, I wake up in the morning, and I like go up, and my pillow's now stuck to my <laughs> stuck to my face, and I'm just like, oh no, what the fuck? So I have to pull that off. Then I have to go, and we all have a staff meeting about what happened about burning that that caravan. <laughs> and I walk in, 
and I've got like part of my fringe missing, my eyebrows are a bit singed, I've got like a burnt nose, and they walk in, they're like, who did it? And I was just like, couldn't tell you, no idea. And they were like, they're like, no, really, who did it? And everyone just stuck together and like, no, we don't know who did it. So now they do, I guess. Of course. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. And it's funny that like I've been at those extreme sport uh, extreme sport veco uh, a few times, and I've been in the tent, and they're like, "Oh, what are you guys doing?" We're like, "Oh, we're skydivers." And they're like, "Oh, we heard about this crazy party where you guys burnt like a caravan, and someone kind of fell in it." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. That guy was a dick." I was like, "That was me." <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's so great when you get to hear about the shit that you did in a story that somebody that wasn't even there tells. That's when you know you've succeeded. Right, I think that's I think that's my greatest skydiving achievement. That's date. the that's that's, that's the mark of a fucking pro is when someone is telling you your story. Oh, it's funny. It's funny you say that. Actually, um, just to sidetrack, uh, you know, may you rest in peace, um, Vince. Mm. Uh, he the first time I met um, Vince, he was just like, I was like, hey man, I'm Chris, and he had heard my name, and he just goes. Are you the guy that landed on both sides of the mountain? And I was like, yeah, that was me. <laughs> he was just like, fuck, man. Fuck. You're so lucky. I was just like, fuck it. <laughs> so that's like one of these amazing like skydivers. So I always looked up to it. He's just like, that's how he knew me. Yeah. I was like, when he knew my name, I was like, fuck. Have I done something that good that he knows me? And he's like, no, I've just been an idiot. That's yeah. how he knows me. Yeah, fair enough, man. Fair enough, man. What is it they say? Uh, there's no such thing as bad press. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, but that was—I'll never forget that. That was hilarious. I mean, but dude. Yeah, so I didn't. It, it's uh, being able to to have the the. This is where I I hate to say it, but I I, I feel like uh, some new jumpers kind of lose out a little bit because I don't know of any drop zones nowadays that are quite like that. I mean, I know that there are some small ones out there and clubs that are scattered around the world that I'm still get pretty unhinged. And uh, you know, I was lucky enough to just talk talk to uh, Scott Fitzgerald who was telling me a little bit about Funny Farm and stuff. So obviously. You got some good events that are going on out there, but on the whole, I don't think there's a drop zone like that that's just kind of, you know, the stuff of legends when it comes to the shit that happens on the ground anymore. Yeah, yeah, the the world is, the world has changed, especially nothing that's, um, you know, in the open as much anyway, like that kind of. Yeah, just it's just like general, like that. Some of those, like that that one where we were just like lit that fire and the caravans were there and the and then they were on the front paper and stuff like that. Like, that was just a Saturday. Yeah. You know, like, like that's, I think, is the big difference now. For stuff like that's that crazy and stuff, it's an event. Oh, yeah. Whereas now, it's just like, that just used to be our, that used to be our Friday after jumping kind of thing. And it's oh, just, yeah. You know? For sure. I mean, uh, that was the same thing with Cross Keys back in the day, which I talk about all the time because that was my insane place to work. Uh, I don't think the cops or fire department didn't show up at the drop zone unless it was truly horrific because it was just so off the hook all the time. And there were so many injuries from the stupid shit we used to do on the ground. It was, I mean, you really had to do something fucking ape shit to get the cops called. And that drop zone's literally in the middle of a residential neighborhood. So everybody was just like, Oh, it's just skydivers. Yeah. I've heard I've heard some loose stories about um, about cross keys as well. Actually, when I when I was starting, yeah, 
Yeah. Yep. Yep. I was some, some uh, good ones. I was lucky enough to be a part uh, of uh, of some of the truly fucking insane ones from end of two thousand three through two thousand six, uh, which is when it was really kind of just that was the beginning of the end because we got so big and so out of control that there was nowhere to go but down. <laughs> so, yeah, it was yeah. it was good shit though. Yeah, man, it was awesome, and then. Uh... Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, I loved Scott O'Boss. Like I said, I was there for eight seasons, and I just thought, like, this is where I'm, I'm gonna live. And then, I mean, much like anything, like I, it's, it was so amazing. But I kept going back there, and it just started becoming very routine. And I was like, and I, and by the end of it, I was just started. I wanted to compete more, and you know, hang out with my other friends around Europe. And sure. I was just like, yeah, I think, I think I'm done. You know, I think, uh, I think, I think it's come to an end. But it was a nice, it was a nice ending. It wasn't like this abrupt you know, like, fuck this place, I'm burnt out. It was just this nice realization that I was like, you know, man, like the way it kind of worked was I said to the manager, I was like, man, I kind of only want to work a little bit if I come back next season and just compete. And I said, but honestly, prioritize people who want the full-time job. And sure. and then he just, he got in touch with me and he was like, look, man, I think I, like, we'd love to have you back, but we just, we can't really cater to, you know, sure. your, your coming and going as much as you want. And I was like, man, I completely understand. And it was just this kind of natural it's over. Yeah. And, and, but it was a nice ending for me. You know, like I, it was, I had so many, I have so many great memories. I still have so many good friends there. Uh, and I, you know, plan definitely to go back and, and catch up with them all. But, and like for me as well, like it gave me, uh, like team one call. Um, if people know, like I, I was so lucky to get onto to team one call and oh, yeah. do a lot of their camera work. And, and a lot of that camera work is what put me in really good positions in the future and filming a lot of the stunts and working with a lot of, you know, a lot, you, of, a lot uh, of cool How'd you cool end people. up on that team? Um, so I basically uh, turned up and just was super eager to be there uh, at Scott Voss, this is. And I'd done a couple, I can't remember if it was my second or third season there. And I was just canopy obsessed. And at the time, um, the team was all about like, canopy stuff xrw mountain flying and that sort of stuff sure. doing you know rad stunts and um yeah the, the guy uh a really good mate of mine yeah he uh he was the, he was mr one call and uh he he basically said hey man like i want you to be on the team this year i was like awesome and then like um yeah basically it, it ran over extreme extreme week yeah um so that so I took the time off off work off for our busiest week. That's where you make bank in Norway, you know. That's in Voss. That's like this is your this is your cash cow. So I was like, you know what, fuck it. I'll I'll take a pay cut and I'll do this. And it mm. was like, and I say that like I, I thought of, I didn't think about it. I was like, man, I'm doing the the team thing. I don't give a shit about tandems and video right now. Right. And uh, yeah, so I I did a few stunts. I filmed like um, like Johnny Jonathan Flores. Uh, the first year I was on it was Jonathan Flores and um, Nick Batch. Yeah, and man, we got to do some some insane stuff like filming Nick Batch land on a, um, a ski mobile on top of a glacier, and just like got to do that jump a few times. Yeah, FYI, landing on top of a glacier when it's completely white is fucking terrifying because you have <laughs> zero depth perception it is insane for anyone who's landed on a ski field you know exactly what i'm talking about you're yeah. just like turning and like yeah man like it's saying on the right height but i don't fucking trust it <laughs> well wasn't that uh wasn't that the the um the arctic jump that the guys jumped and didn't fucking pull they just went in because they didn't they didn't even know that yeah. the ground was coming up and the only one that lived out of the jump had an aad on and it fired and saved his ass but the other two just <laughs> it's insane huh yeah Damn. 
So I can like okay, that's that's kind of fucked up. Those guys should have like maybe their LT froze up and they couldn't see it. I don't know, but you know, you got to have a little bit of time perception. Just being like, man, I've been falling for like a minute. Surely something's gonna. Oh, it's too late. Like, not to make light of what happened to those guys, but uh, you got. Yeah, I mean, come you know, on. Do you got to kind of make a little bit of light out of that? <laughs> I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, like, look at your Alti, man. That's what we do. That's what we learn. Well, the first time I heard that story, all I pictured was, you remember all the cartoons where the roadrunner or the, the coyote would hit the pavement and go into the pavement and it would be yeah. a coyote-shaped hole? That's the first thing yeah. I pictured was it was two skydiver-shaped holes in the snow because you <laughs> you just punch yeah. straight through it. I mean, come on. You got to laugh a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, like just looking at each other. This is insane. How long is this free for? It's got to have something to do with the temperature. <laughs> this is, this is the, yeah. Yep, yep. Well, so uh, the the, uh, the landing on top of the glacier, you were filming that? Yeah, so I was, for a lot of the Team One cool stuff, I like, I perform every now and then. And then uh, I would do, um, like, do a lot of the camera work and get the photos and stuff. And that was one of my, like, first big opportunities of, um, of like something high profile, yeah, and it kind of, yeah, that kind of like helped me get my job at Aerosports, um, and then it helped me get on a few other projects, like just even just like getting your name out there, you know, like and from there getting onto things like Swoop Freestyle, or sure. formerly at the time was Swoop Challenge, yeah. Like Team One Cool was, yeah, I had some amazing opportunities with them for sure. Super grateful, like uh, it was they it was the reason I went to China, so that was uh, that was really cool. I remember flying to China. We went there for a TV show. Okay. And the guys on the way over, they managed to – so we were doing um, – it was Espen Fadness and Bjorn. Yeah. And we were doing um, Basics RW. So they, they called it like the magic carpet or something, the flying carpet. I can't remember. Uh, so I was my job was to be outside camera for that. And we're actually – that was – it's definitely one of the coolest things I've done for sure. Like, you you know, um, where Jeb Corliss flew through Heaven's Gate. Yep. Uh, the the Tiananmen Mountains. Yep. So we were there, and uh, and I'm not, I still don't know if I don't think anyone else has actually like they've done a lot of base jumping there. That's where they do the wingsuit, um, the World sure. Wingsuit League race. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so we got to jump out of our, our military helicopter um, there, which was which was amazing for for two reasons. Jumping over that place was insane. Mm. But um, Jeb Corliss to fly through Heaven's Gate did a skydive. Right. So up until Jeb had. Uh, up until like we got there, Jeb was the only one to have skydived in the Tiananmen Mountains. Wow! And so now, and I'm not sure, I, I can't say for sure if anyone else has, but Bjorn and I were the second two people. So to the best of my knowledge, only three people have actually skydived in the Tiananmen Mountains, and I'm fortunate enough to be one of them. How just, sick is that, right? Not, not like a, yeah, and it's not like I don't want it to sound like a brag. It's just one of those things where it's like, man, I started skydiving like five years or six years before that. Just like thinking, I'm gonna just go jump out of a plane, drink beer, go to the pub, have a good time, and then like, little do I know, yeah, you know, I'm in China for a TV show. Yeah, I mean, and so, I think everybody's got, I think everybody's got something like that, even obviously to a, a much smaller scale for the average skydiver. But every single person out there that's jumping at some point should be looking around, going, "Look at what I'm fucking getting to do." This is ridiculous. Yeah. Somebody's let me do this or that or the other thing, or I got to go here to do something crazy, or I'm seeing this or that. And I mean, I've seen so many things that I can't imagine I ever would have dreamed I was going to be able to see. So when you say something like that, it doesn't sound like a brag. It sounds like you know how fucking lucky you were. Yeah, man. It's just, you just got to take a minute every now and then, and you would have many of these situations where you're just like, 
is awesome. Like yeah. take the moment in because I think we get caught up a lot of the times and like obviously the skydiving is the main part of it. Sure. Like that's why we're there for a lot of it. But you got to look around, you know, like what I used to do on Skydive Voss actually was like, yeah, I was just doing tandems. Like, I was mainly just filming tandems and doing tandems there. Sure. And when I was filming the tandems, I used to get out on the caravan and just stand like bolt upright and look over the plane and just look around at the mountains. I was like, yeah, man, this is where I'm jumping. This is yeah. just be grateful. Like this is awesome, you know. Just appreciate what where I was. Oh yeah, well I mean that's that's me and and sitting up front and flying the plane for quite a while now. I've got a uh, phone filled with pictures of the places that I'm flying over, and I don't know too many places where people are taking pictures out their fucking office window. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's it's amazing, huh? Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I mean it's just you have to have that, and every once in a while I'll just start flipping through the ten thousand odd photos that I've got on my phone, just going, oh, I remember this, or I remember that, and all the different places you've jumped over, or flown over, or scared the shit out of yourself, or whatever. Just these amazing memories yeah. that you get to tie in. Oh yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, and then <laughs> there's always a story that goes like a story like this. So while we're in China, we've done the stunt. It went, it went awesome. Um, obviously, being the cameraman, I got no credit, but that's okay. I'm not holding a grudge. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we're having this. We're having this. Um, the the guy, the producer from the TV, like the the Chinese TV show, the crew and everything, and the producer, they were so they were just like, what you guys are doing is insane. Like, so they got this. Uh, we met them in the restaurant uh, at our hotel, and they got this couple of nice bottles of whiskey. And so we joined them, and then because I wasn't actually going on the TV show, it was just the two performers, and they and they were like, "Oh, we need to, we you know, we need to uh, just have a few more. We'll have a few more conversations." So we went and had some drinks. Me and um, uh, Bjorn's partner at the time, mm. we just we went off and we had this whiskey, and we were just hanging out with some of the other the other people, and we just like we got tanked, and we man, we fucking smashed this this whiskey, and then. Uh, she was like, she went back and I think they all kept drinking. I was like, man, I'm fucked. I'm going to bed. <laughs> and I went up to, oh, I was actually going to go to bed. And then Espen Fadness was like, mate, let's have a nightcap in my room. I was like, mate, I've already had about 20 nightcaps. I'm fucked. And then, um, and then, so I have a few drinks with Espen and I was like, right, oh, night, mate. And then I just kind of go blank. <laughs> and then I, I like, I go, I go into my room and then I just go blank. And then I wake up in the morning and someone's kicked my door in and just like, I'm not going to say any names, but a certain person we were drinking with had lost their room and was walking around trying to find, you know, their room. And and they thought my room was their room. And apparently they just kicked it in and then walked off. And then, uh, and then they were like, and then they were like, oh, we think it because it was your room. It must have been you. You were locked out. I was like, no, nah, I put myself to bed. I remember that. And then um, they went through the footage. And uh, they have this video of said person just like stumbling around the hallway and just breaking in the door. So even in China, we couldn't behave ourselves. (laughs) Yeah, I was just about to say, you're talking about China. This is not. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you're going to do something crazy, that's an interesting choice for that. I mean, a a skydiver losing their room doesn't sound too odd to me, but it sure as fuck does in China. Yeah, no, no, for sure. You got to keep your wits about you. So, like, oh man, I was like, I was celebrating with the boys. We'd done the jump, and then yeah, 
woke up and I remember looking at my door and just being like, oh, that's not right. <laughs> so I just closed that and was like, I'm going back to sleep because I was, I had a pretty decent hangover. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, that's just, yeah. just to be able to have those kind of memories and those experiences, that's just fantastic. And jumping with like Johnny oh. Flores, I mean, he was he was just such a oh. gent. What a, sw- uh, just a sweetheart of a guy. Oh, man, he was, he was brilliant. And just so, um, like, it's funny because, you, you know, you see how like when you, because I, I actually met him in Lodi before he was Mr. Red Bull and all that sort That's of stuff. That's where I met him. And Yeah. So you see all that hype and people would think, you know, like, and a lot of the Red Bull guys and, and other, like, uh, you know, corporate-sponsored athletes, uh, you, you would just, I think people would just assume they've got this chip on their shoulder or they've got attitudes. When It's quite the opposite. Oh, it's yeah. this super down-to-earth, like, a, and Johnny was definitely one of those people. Oh, yeah. He was actually, so I met Johnny after, so I broke my back. In, in 2011, recovered, had nowhere to go, so I went to Lodi, mm. and uh, that's where I met Johnny. That's so, awesome. And, and, beca- and because of my broken back, I had nowhere to go, so I just had to bum around at my at my dad's place in the UK while I recovered, and just figure out what I wanted to do, and I just started looking at drop zones, and I couldn't find anywhere that I could go, except I knew that Lodi would take anyone. Yep, pretty much. So I was like... So because of my broken back, I was put in a position where like Lodi was the option, <laughs> which led me to meet like Johnny Flores, which led me to do like my first lot of XRW. And that was XRW when for all those people who jump Petras now and just like, oh, yeah, XRW, oh, we've got to be so highly loaded. It's hard. It's just like when I did XRW back in my day, we had that ratchet system and it was fucking horrible. <laughs> and like, the, and I'm not, I'm not an OG by any stance because I was using the system that I think the PD factory team uh, had developed. And if, if I'm wrong, I, I apologize to whoever it was who actually developed that system. But basically, the system was you had your front risers with like an additional loop on it or additional uh, like riser almost. Right. And it was hooked up to the ratchet and you would just crank it and you would lock your front risers down. And that was like uh, – and, and the thing with that is you had to release them. And the pressure on them was so strong and you've always got one stronger hand than the other. So my right hand would release it and my left hand wasn't as strong that I would just now be stuck in a spiraling dive after the jump, like lower than five grand just with one front riser cranked up. And I'm like trying to push that with both hands now. Just like, release, release. We've just had a good jump. I need to I need to release this. Yeah, no oh. shit. But it was, that, uh, yeah, but I think... I was just going to say that I think I was there 2009 or 10 and I, I got to meet and hang out with, uh, it was Johnny Flores and he was jumping with Katie Hansen. Um, yep. So hanging out and becoming friends with the two of them. And I mean, they were both just kind of getting their start doing a lot of the wingsuit and the XRW type of stuff was just kind of at the beginning. And uh, uh, obviously such sweethearts and super down to earth and just fun people. Oh man. So, so, so good. It was, yeah, it was Katie and, uh, and Johnny, who like I did a lot of my lot of my first jumps with, yeah, and it was just man, it was just pure, just just fun. Like yeah. we weren't, I mean, we weren't posting shit to social media. We didn't, you know, like I didn't have Instagram, like and didn't really use like YouTube, Facebook. I wasn't putting that much stuff up, and it was just like this is we were just doing it right. for us, you know, yeah. Which is which I think is was such such an awesome and you know quite beautiful thing. Where it's just like you would turn up as like you want to do XRW, and it was like. Yeah, man. I, like, no cameras. Let's just go shred. Yeah, yeah. Which is nice. I mean, I, I look back at a lot of the stuff that I've done, and 
I'm I'm in part of me is bummed that I don't have you know video of these amazing memories that I have, but uh, most of me is like to be perfectly honest, I don't need it because the memories are so vivid and so exciting, and because there was no camera, there was no pressure. This was just a, let's go yeah. see what happens, you know, and you get to live in that moment much more so because the video and and all the social media shit just puts uh, puts a lot of pressure on it. Yeah, and I think as well like another good like. How you say you've got this, the you know that beautiful vivid memory, like, and it, it's not going to be a hundred percent accurate, is it? Right, no. like, so you, when you land from a jump, if you have a video, like, you've seen people land from, um, like, a look, because we have a lot of skills camps now, and it does break my heart a little bit. These people are like, with like five hundred jumps, four hundred jumps, they're killing it. They're doing these amazing things in the sky, thanks to the wind tunnel and all that sort of stuff, and just their drive to to want to be like these ninjas, these little ninjas in the sky, which which you know it's awesome. It's pushing the sport. Sure. But they, they'll go and do these jumps and you'll just see people. I've been on drop zones and you see people land and they're like, that was awesome. And then they'll watch the video and they'll be like, oh, I fucked up. Yeah. And then you just see that that elated feeling just drained out of them. Oh, yeah. And it's like, oh, man, but you, you were so happy. You know, these people were so happy when they were on the ground. Oh, yeah. No, no. Hey, I am I am perfectly content to live the lie. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. really yeah. am, you know. I mean, I, I'm, I don't care if I'm a fucking superstar because I land from a jump that was that fun, and I don't even want to see the video. Fuck it, I don't need to see yeah. if I if I looked as good as I felt because it felt fucking amazing, yeah. you know. So I'm right there with you. It's kind of disappointing to see these people um, just deflated when they see what actually happened. Fuck it, man. Yeah. I'll take the seventy percent right any day of the week. Yeah, man, li- living the dream, it's perfect. Yeah, yeah, I mean, shit, like, that's what we're doing anyway. <laughs> that's what we're, 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 yeah, like we're doing it for that feeling, so, yeah. yeah, you know, if we have a device, like, I'm not saying don't use cameras, because I heavily rely on that, but, sure. I mean, for it's nice sometimes just to go, hey, we're not taking the cameras on this jump, we're just going to go to a nice sunset, like, track, or, or like, you know, hit up, whatever you're going to do, and oh, yeah. we're just going to enjoy it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. What's well, it's one of the reasons that as far as fun jumps go, my favorite is still the no plan. Let's get the fuck out the door and see what happens, because it's it's going to be a clusterfuck, of course, but it's going to be hilarious and fun. And you're falling through the sky with your buddies, laughing your ass off because this happened or that happened, and those are great. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I, and it's those are just like. Pure, unadulterated fun. How good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's what it's supposed to be about. You know, I mean, um, obviously we do it for a living, and so there's a lot of extra added pressure. So to be able to go out and just screw around and have a good time with it and have memories like places like Voss or Cross Keys and stuff like that is so epic to the sport and what keeps people in it. Because if it was just the mechanics of skydiving, skydiving and, and shooting the video and doing all that stuff, it would get pretty – I mean, it wouldn't get boring, but it wouldn't have the passion to it. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Nice. For sure. Nice. Yeah, and then, uh, man, like uh, it's funny how like when I when I say these little stories, like Lodi randomly led into – man, I, used to, I was at a TV commercial in Mexico. <laughs> and in the credits, in the credits, my name was Instructor Gringo. Like I was there skydiving. No shit. And, uh, oh man, fuzzy ass. It was actually a short film for like, uh, you know how like over there at the time it was called uh, Seal, uh, Seal uh, Agua. It was basically like Coca Cola's water brand. Right. And and they just uh, and basically to be racially profiled, I was on the drop zone doing tandems. They saw me one weekend. They came the next, and they're like, "You've got a, you've got the exact look we want for this video," which was I was tall and white. So <laughs> hey man, steer into the skid. I got paid. Yeah, and uh, so I did this. Um, I did this. Uh, yeah, I did this. Uh, this job where so we went away, and it sucked as well because, like, 
everywhere I went, everyone was like, oh, you must be famous because I was like this white guy in Mexico. Right. And and like this all this attention I was getting and it was it was it was fun and enjoyable but man I had the Mexi belly hard like I, whew, bet. I uh yeah I just I couldn't really enjoy it I remember sitting in the plane for like 6 hours on the ground one day just going over like clipping something on clipping up doing up the tandem standing in the door like really set and I, I mean it was like 6 hours yeah, and I needed to I needed to shit myself for about five and a half of those hours. So, oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't doubt it. Well, as soon as I see a film crew come onto a drop zone, it's an instant headache. When you're first starting out, you think it looks oh this is going to be so cool, and then you see it and realize oh no, fuck I want nothing to do with that. I did a. It's funny yeah. that they called you. What did they call you? Tandem Gringo. Instructor Gringo. Instructor Gringo. Okay, it was kind of funny because I did a, uh, an episode of a TV show in the States called Mythbusters a bunch of years back and uh, took the both the guys on tandems. But I forget what happened, but I pissed off the producer in some way, but I was also the tandem instructor. So when the show finally aired, the whole drop zone is together watching it, and they called me Tandem Buddy. They didn't even use my name. <laughs> Everybody else, they used uh, their name. I was just Tandem Buddy because I had pissed off the producers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, no credit oh. whatsoever <laughs> oh man that's yeah. amazing yeah oh, the, that's the, good. the film crew stuff always just turns me sour now as soon as i see somebody they're not jumpers and they're just coming to film it you're like you, wait what you want is has nothing to do with what we're doing <laughs> yeah 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 and it was funny too like i was really excited about doing it and then after that first day i was like oh man this, yeah. this is gonna be it. and it was three days of shooting i was like this is gonna be Long, long, yeah. long three days. Yeah, people don't so, realize what goes into the end product for that shit. Mm, yeah, I do now. I'm not sure I'd want to do it again. It was a great experience, but, sure. you know. Yeah, and that, well, but, so you got a gig uh, chucking drogues in Mexico because you were in Lodi? Yeah, so I was there and uh, one of the tandem instructors was like, uh, I'd, been, I'd only been in Lodi for like just over a month. Mm. And uh, he was like, oh, enjoy the winter because I was there for winter, you know. Right. It was like, oh, enjoy the winter. And I, was, and I was like, where are you going? He's like, I'm going to Mexico to work. I was like, just jokingly, do you need a hand? And he was just like, well, actually, I need to take an instructor. I was like, fuck yeah, man. Yeah. Nice. Done. I'm in. That's yeah, a- So he said, just go ahead. Go right ahead. place, right time. Yeah. That yeah was, so he just said, like, think about it for a day. And uh, I went home and talked to my housemate. I was like, look, I'm thinking about doing this. And she was like, yeah, do, do it. If you want to do it, do it. I was like, cool. Because yeah. I kind of already said yes. Oh, hell yeah. Um, and then we drove from like NorCal all the way down to uh, – we ended up going to a place called Puerto Escondido yep. in uh, like southern southern Mexico. We jumped on the beach there for a bit and uh, and then for one month. And then we from there went up to uh, just a place called Cotla, Skydive Cotla, which was just – it was run by the same guys. And it was just outside um, Mexico City. Yeah. So that was yeah, that was awesome. So, One of the uh, funniest things actually. Go, Sorry, go ahead. Go. No, I was just going to say. Was, um, did you ever hear the story of uh, of the twin otter that uh, went to Coatla and only stayed there for four days, um, and had to leave again because of a, an issue that they had at the drop zone? <laughs> no, I was there when they were putting heaps of money into the otter, and it was going to get rigs purchased. Like they were going to do a cash buy of rigs over the border in the states. And when they were loading it, because all airfields are pretty much military run in the in Mexico, yeah. And we were, and I wasn't at the drop zone, but they're loading this this plane, and um, 
the army guys are like, what's in those bags? You know, we need to see those bags. And they were like three big like suitcases full of cash, yeah. like US dollars. Yeah. Anyway, so so the that they fell out of the the fucking so they went to port like to the the military guys were like, let's have a look. And this was what this was what the pilot. Um, do you know the Lemays? The Lemays? Uh, I don't. Uh, like Vince Vince Lemay. Anyway, he's um, he was the the young guy flying it. Completely on the straight and narrow, like he's honest dude, and he just got caught up in this situation. Anyway, he was just like, yeah. So they pulled like the case, went out, like went to the door, and then he dropped it, and it fell onto the ground, and it opened, and this cash just went like a fucking movie. Yeah. And so they, then the army's like, what the fuck is this? You know what's going on? So they end up arresting all of them, taking the money, impounding the plane, and then. Uh, and these guys are in, they get locked up for a month and they go from being in the jail, like just the jail cells at the police station to like, uh, a, I don't know if it was maximum security prison, but a, like a, a full on prison. Jesus. And they spent a week in prison. And then uh, I think the owner of the drop zone got done for a lot more. He did. And he was in there. Yeah, he was in there for a few years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, his name was yeah. Tony. Yeah, he, he definitely yes, had. Tony. A, yeah, he had a whole lot more issues. Yeah, the, um, yeah. The, the, that drop zone had some, had some problems throughout the years. I lasted four days yeah. in that place before I had a gun in my face and had to run away. Holy shit. Yeah, that's a. Oh, that's that's a, a um, well, I, I was flying for uh, Chicago at the time for uh, for Doug out of Chicagoland, and he had the winter contract down there. And to, to make a long story short, their local pilot did something stupid with his plane, and I called him out on it safety-wise. And I may have been uh, uh, my usual self and called him out in a rather firm manner, which it turns out yep. you shouldn't do if you don't want to hurt the machismo of a true, strong Mexican man. So he had five of his buddies come at me with baseball bats and guns, and uh, and I went home the next day. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah. So, fellas, I'm going to take this plane and just get on out of here. Yeah, well, I called my boss, and I'm like, so um, I'm leaving with your plane or I'm leaving without it, but this guy said if I'm not gone tomorrow, I go home in a box, and I don't want to go home in a box. <laughs> yeah. So, so that was that. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like my experience of that place was super, like pretty chill. You know, most people Except had a wonderful that. time. Here's the fucked yeah. up thing for me was the staff were amazing. The people were fantastic. It was just this one fucking guy and his crooked friends, and that was the end of that. And I felt horrible because when I left, I took their plane for the season and went away. You know, so I destroyed yeah. these people's seasons, and they helped me load the plane to get out of there. They were such wonderful people. Yeah. Uh, to this day, that's yeah. my only regret I have about that is I trashed their season to get out of there. But it is what it is. Yeah. I do, I do love, I love Mexico for that. I love the, I love the people. It's definitely one of my favorite countries. Just like when you, you know, obviously people have bad stories. People have bad stories everywhere. There's everywhere. bad stories in New Zealand, you know, yeah. of people having bad experiences. But like, yeah, in Mexico, I just love, I just love being there and just love like, you know, the, the culture and the atmosphere and just, man, there's a fucking celebration for everything. Like there's a day for fireworks <laughs> and like each town from each village to village. It's like they celebrate, they have their own celebrations. It's like. We were we went out for dinner and this uh, from these people we'd just met, and uh, they were taking they were like it's bang stick or firework day, and they were like they really wanted us to be we were the only white people in the village. There was like three of us, all right, and we were around to our friends having a barbecue, and they really wanted us to be 
and those fireworks things. So they just gave us like this fucking like a giant sparkler. And we just like walked around the, the village just like, yeah, <laughs> we don't know what we're celebrating, but this is fucking awesome. Oh, dude. Uh, oh, so good. Yeah, such great so, people. So I, my my favorite memories of uh, um, the very little time I got to spend there were the amazing staff and the incredible tacos off the street. The tacos at Pastor, yep. holy fucking shit. You just stand there yeah. and watch them slice the meat into the tortillas. Oh, so just, good. It was so good. So, so good. And it's so growing up uh, having Western, Westernized uh, Mexican food. You're like, yeah. hey, what is this? This is, this is amazing. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Now, with, yeah. with COVID times being what they are, obviously it's curtailed traveling, but where's the next place you're hoping to get to? Well, so I think I, th- I really want to get to um, – have you seen the flock and flows, uh, the canopy flocking events? Yeah. With momentum. Balls? Yeah. I've been, I was supposed to be at a couple of them, uh, this year, but they have fallen through. And those are, you know, like, uh, Max, uh, Max Manon, Matt Leonard, the, and, uh, Tom, Tom Baker were the, uh, organizers mm. of, of those. That's that three of like my really, really good friends. And, just want to go, you know, like, cause canopy is my, you know, I can do a little bit of free fall. The running jokers, I don't know how to fall, but, uh, I can do a little bit. I still enjoy it, but the canopy is where, you know, where, where I truly, you know, feel at home in the sky. So sure. I just, yeah, I want to go hang out with my mates and wherever that is, I guess. So the, the States I think is where they're generally doing them right now. Yep. Um, yeah, I think but honestly, I think for like, for like a lot of people, man, I'll take anywhere, yeah. you know? Wherever I can go, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, so. I think things are starting well. It depends on where in the world you're looking at, but uh, at least things back in the States are, are opening up to some degree. And, I mean, the drop zones have actually been going pretty decent. And, I, I you know, Funny Farm just happened, so um, there's yeah. events happening around the world. And, and summertime's coming into a lot of places, so hopefully there's a good chunk of travel to be had and some events to go to. Oh, I think there's going to be, talking about those wild parties and stuff like that, you think about all the people because, like, as skydivers, a lot of our, our good friends are international. We yep. always bump into each other throughout the year. But if you've not seen your buddies for, like, a year or two, those parties are going to be uh, – we'll come back and do another one in a year. I'll have a few more crazy stories where I can't name people. Yeah, no doubt, man. Those are the best stories anyway. Yeah, I can't yeah, I can't yeah. say this person <laughs> or that person, but we did this. Yeah, no, it's going to be some pretty fucking epic parties because a lot of people are like me. They haven't done any traveling for almost two years now, you know. So, I mean, it's yeah. it's it's crazy how long it's all stretching out. But it's I think we're finally starting to see a, a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel. So the epic parties are coming for sure. Like coming for sure, yeah, and it's just, man, as we, I feel like, uh, like a lot of skydivers, we just, it's an eight in our sort of character that we just like to, we like to be on the move, we like to go places, so oh, absolutely. It, well, it's There's a big a part of, of the culture. I mean, it's a gypsy culture in that in that respect, which yeah. is one of the things that's so fun about it. Now, how do yeah, people uh, how do people track your movements now that uh, hopefully things are starting to lighten up? How are they going to find out what you're up to next? Any uh, events? Any courses? Anything like that? Yeah, so just uh, I guess the, 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 I'm pretty slack on it if I'm honest, but I do post to um, Instagram. So my handle is just uh, Chris J Stewart cool. at Chris J Stewart. Pretty pretty basic. Had to make that one professional for Swoop Freestyle. Get rid of the the silly names. Yeah, fair enough. Well, I know uh, yeah, yeah. Th- this podcast was more just to shoot the shit. I know last time we talked more about how you got into the sport and and the beginnings and and what led you all oh, this direction and that direction. But it's fun to just hear about what keeps you in it and one of the reasons that you're still so passionate about it. So it was a fun oh. time just just shooting the shit and having a good time with it. 
Oh man, it's awesome, yeah, for sure. And and do you know what? One of the funny things, just if I'm going to finish on, is like I've, I feel like COVID has kind of given me my love back for for just skydiving in general. So we've got a couple of boogies on this year that like I've been asked to like do some canopy flocking, a little bit of like LOing, a little bit of video stuff, and I mean it's just nice to have that drive again. So yeah, isn't yeah, it? I mean it really definitely is loving it. it. Yeah, man. I think it's kind of tapped everybody on the shoulder and reminded them, hey, uh, shit can get a lot worse. This is you know you've chosen a cool life, go out. You know, and I think a lot of the rest of the world that's outside of skydiving um, now has started to look at things like we do and people like us who tend to go after our passions instead of the pay, uh, and uh, um, we're I think we're uh, we're being seen in a slightly different light now that everybody's realized how um how easy everything can go away yeah oh for sure and how how much maybe we all took it for granted just like man this is an awesome lifestyle it's never going to end yeah you know and then next minute so yeah pretty much no. pretty much well, we're going to look forward to to round three with you for sure, because I know you've still got a shit ton of stories to share. Uh, so keep making lists because we got to do a third one. Yeah, awesome. And I'll be murdered if I don't say check out NZ Aerosports as well. Absolutely. Best in the world. Because fuck yeah. <laughs> well, and anybody that's uh, uh, listened to the podcast for any length of time now, it, just in case you don't know, this is the voice of the guy that does the lead-in commercial on every one of them. So if you didn't know, now you do. This is the this is the one. So I got to get another commercial out of you as well. Yeah, mate. I'm, I'm uh, open, willing, and able. I'll do pro bono work as perfect, well. Perfect, perfect. All right, brother. Thank you again for the time. This was awesome. Beautiful. Thank you very much, man. Catch you later. See ya. All right, there you have it. Another episode of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void in the Can. Brought to you, as always, by NZ Aerosports. Fuck yeah. Also brought to you by Pussfoot, the Extreme Sports Collective. Check them out, pussfoot.com, summitparachutesystems.com. They are your go-to for badass, amazing pilot rigs. Also, for incredible rigging courses, hit up Jarrett Martin over there, summitparachutesystems.com. As for me, the fucking pilot, same guy, going to find me in the same place, thefuckingpilot.net or theprincesspilot.com. That's where you're going to get links to the podcast as well as both the books, the fucking pilot book, for Blue Skies Magazine and The Accidental Stripper, both available in digital and print. See you next time.